This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Well, it's July and the hot weather's here. Some weeks ago, we enjoyed a great conversation with members of the Narmouth Ambulance Company discussing various topics, including when you should call for an ambulance, and what to do while you wait for help. They did such a great job that we invited them back this week to talk about those emergency situations more likely to happen during this hot and humid weather. First, a return visit from Mr. Al Davey. With over 23 years as a nationally registered staff paramedic, he's held many leadership positions, including deputy chief and now executive director of Narberth Ambulance. Later, we'll hear from Dr. Danielle Levine, emergency medicine physician from the Hospital of University of Pennsylvania and the assistant medical director of Norbert Ambulance. Heat illness. There's a spectrum of conditions related to heat illness that can come with or without exertion. Exertional heat illness is among the leading causes of death in young athletes every year, most commonly football. The CDC found that it occurs both during practice and competition and notices a disturbing trend of increasing incidence. But along with athletes, we need to focus on others who also exert themselves in the heat, military personnel, firefighters, construction workers, resulting either from physical effort beyond their level of fitness or training in extreme heat. Welcome, Al. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be a part of the conversation. So let's start with exertional heat illness in general. It's a spectrum, correct, that includes heat exhaustion, heat injury, heat stroke? Yeah, just like first-degree burns, second-degree burns, third-degree burns, and escalating, so does heat emergency. Mm-hmm. And I think we should jump right to the most extreme situation because we know that heat exhaustion and heat injury, which might be, as you a uh, great parallel there, lesser or less severe, can move pretty quickly to the most severe. Um, so let's start by defining heat stroke. Sure. Um... Simply put, uh, heat stroke is when the body has exhausted every bit of fluid. I mean, 
while we all know the body is 60% water, what we don't realize is the brain is 75% water. and The heart is 79% water. The two things we need the most. And so they're the ones to give up the most when we get dry. And so whether we've exerted ourselves too much or there's a condition where we've been unable to find cooler temperatures, the body suffers. When we see that, and that's usually when the ambulance is involved, we arrive to the patient's house. Sometimes it's completely sealed up and they're inside literally just roasting. Um, sometimes they are people who are in completely good health, but they've overexerted themselves in a workout. The goal here is we have to identify those who are emergent. Uh, heat stroke is quite simple. Your body is cooking. Your skin is hot and dry. Your mental status is weak. You're breathing fast to try and breathe off this heat. You may have had a seizure. You may be unresponsive. Um, and in its worst, you might have passed away. So we treat these heat strokes as the top, top priority for us. Because from what I've read and what I understand, uh, the cardiovascular system, your heart beats more quickly when you're hot, and that's because it's pumping the blood to your skin surface so you can perspire because sweat is the way to cool off your body. So if you're sending all your blood to the surface, you're taking it away from your organs like your bowel, and that's why you can get cramping in your belly. You're taking it away from your kidneys. Your liver is susceptible, your heart, and that's why in its extreme, multiple organs can be affected. Um, and lead to, as you say, death, if not uh, liver, uh, organ transplant, et cetera. So the two main criteria, if I understand correctly, the body temp has to be above what level? So while the human body can tolerate many different temperatures, uh, when we get above 105, that's a red flag for us. Now, given we usually don't take your temperature, we look at your mm -hmm. symptoms. We're not putting a thermometer uh, anywhere near you. We are assessing it based on your mental condition and those kinds of things. And sometimes medical conditions sometimes interfere with these. If you're sick, if you have heart disease, if you have breathing problems, diabetes, all sorts of things that make it difficult for you, your body to operate normally. Um, and then sometimes it's as simple as limited mobility. When we have that person inside the house, you know, they don't have the ability to run around and open up the windows or the windows are sealed mm -hmm. shut. Or conversely, all the windows are open and there's no air conditioning. And no matter how mm -hmm. much we see the fan blowing 100 degree air on a person, that's not cooling you off. So the main things that uh, you use to identify the definition of stroke are the core body temp, even though you might not take it when you're there, is 104, 105. And there's neurologic involvement. And that can be uh, confusion, headache, irritability, um, altered consciousness, even coma, or even a seizure, right? And but as you say, too, um, if blood is being robbed from the internal organs, a person might have nausea or vomiting, diarrhea, uh, dry mouth, muscle cramps. Any of those issues are, are going to be red flags. So what increases the risk? Because we talked about exertional, meaning young athletes or military personnel working out in the heat. But you're also describing elderly people who might be in a situation where they, they don't have air conditioning and or even little children left in a car. Tell us about the, what increases the risk. Sure. Uh, Narberth Ambulance did a special with uh, ABC News uh, where we actually mm -hmm. put a correspondent in a car and kind of sealed up the windows. And, and we were even able to see EKG changes uh, within a very, very healthy correspondent. So we've watched it happen live in the back of our ambulance. Luckily, it was a promotional thing and we had our truck standing by should anything had gone wrong. But 
you know, extreme ages of young and old. I mean, we do not talk about, you know, the kids that are in the car enough. Um, and that's a reality. And so, uh, ex you know, the, the edges of the age range are things where we get concerned as well. Mm -hmm. So if we think of sweating as being a way to um, dissipate heat, that evaporation cools us off to an extent, a, a little child has less surface area. They have less skin to get rid of that heat, right? And an elderly person, their bodily functions are slower to begin with. So it's that um, those age extremes that we have to be especially careful. And I guess if somebody's not in good shape or if they're overweight, I mean, like obese, or if they have some other acute illness, if your body's dealing with fever already, um, your brain is getting mixed signals because sometimes, um, and, and even certain medications can impair sweating, right? And then you don't have that, that um, additional ability to try to get rid of the heat. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we are looking at you know, your body. When we take firemen out of hot scenes and we need to rehab them, the misting fan is our key. So it's literally the breeze plus this little spray on the front. And so it makes you wet and then we blow you dry and it makes you cool. It's the number one way we rehab firefighters or in heavy, heavy coats in very hot situations. But mm -hmm. to the medication aspect, anything that dries you out is, a re is something we should be aware of. So, you know, diuretics for people with lung issues and decongestants for allergy stuff. There's even some antihistamines that do it really aggressively. And it can be just as simple what? as psychiatric meds as well. Mm -hmm. They all have because, to dry out. And I would think that they too sometimes can decrease a person's perception of fatigue. Let's say it's an athlete and they're taking, um, I don't know, um, amphetamines uh, or a person might be on lithium they might not feel tired as quickly as somebody who's not on those meds. And I have to look that, look this up, but I know certain dietary supplements can impair sweating as well. So make sure, uh, I always tell my patients, make sure before you just buy over the counter supplements, you talk to your doctor. So again, let's talk about the, um, symptoms and signs that come with heat stroke. So you want to basically focus on what they look like. The first thing that we notice is, and what most people notice is a change of mental status. They're not, they're not right. And as the blood gets less and less fluid in, it becomes harder for that, that blood to move around. And so it's sludgy and it's thick and there's not a lot of quick thinking. You put that with a hot temperature and it's heat exhaustion, obviously, as long as the outside or the inside meet, you know, to the paramedic, that it is hot. It all kind of goes together. So our telltale sign is if we start reversing that, we ultimately start to make them feel better. We realize we had a heat emergency. And I know that the rectal temp is the only one you can really count on. And as you say, you can't do that on the spot all the time. But when they get to the hospital, they'll do that. But sometimes it's uh, the amount of time between the time when you meet the patient and you get them to the hospital. Cooling them is probably more important as the first step than transferring them. Yes? Oh, uh, absolutely. You have to stop. Mm -hmm. uh, the temperature. The temperature reducing is the key. So putting cold packs in their groin, putting it under their armpits, putting it in the back of their neck. That doesn't even have to be cold packs. It could be a cool towel that you got water out of the tap. Um, for an advanced level, for an ambulance, we're going to wrap cold packs around the IV fluid and we're going to put that inside the body. So just like the thermometer checks the core temperature, I, cool IV fluid uh, given through an arm will uh, accelerate the way in which they 
getting older and hopefully reverse the symptoms we see. Mm -hmm. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with more on heat stroke therapy. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. Hi, I'm Dr. Denny Carice, Chief Science Officer at Recovery Centers of America, and I'm here as your addiction expert. People ask me often about harm reduction efforts. What are harm reduction efforts? These are any kind of effort that's made to keep somebody and to keep society safe while somebody is not ready to quit using drugs or alcohol. So it's not something where we say it's okay to keep using or we encourage use, but it is something where we help keep people safe while they're not ready to quit. So one example of this would be needle exchange programs. If somebody's injecting heroin and they do not want to quit, Needle exchange programs allow them to bring in used needles and they give them clean needles. This does a lot of things, not just for the person, but society. It decreases the number of dirty needles you see laying outside when you walk outside on your front step. It also keeps the person safe from things like HIV, hepatitis, AIDS, so that there's not the seroconversion to those illnesses that then become a burden on the person and on society. So harm reduction efforts want to keep the person safe. And here's another piece. I've never known a harm reduction place where they don't offer treatment when the person comes in. They say, I know you're here for your needles. You know, there's treatment available. I could, I could link you up with this place or that. And then also a lot of harm reduction places, they have access to nurses or physicians where they can get some medical treatment while they're there. So if people are not willing and not ready to quit, let's at least keep society safer and keep them safer until we can show them that quitting is a great idea and they have a life ahead of them without drugs and alcohol. If you or a loved one has a problem with alcohol or drugs, call 1-888-RECOVERY today or go to recoverycentersofamerica.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. That number again is 1-888-RECOVERY. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction. You are not alone. If you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your whole family can begin to recover. At Recovery Centers of America at Devon and Lighthouse, your loved one will be treated with care by expert addiction professionals, while family programming will give you support and healing so that you can recover as well. RCA accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com/askbiggerquestions. Anchor Norbert Ambulance Company, Al Davey, has taught us so much about heat stroke. 
what the red flags are and how to treat it. So Al, we want to get this very hot person cooled off as quickly as possible because um, I think also the severity of the illness might not be apparent when you first see the patient. Am I right? Uh, I think a lot of times they used to say, um, if it's heat stroke, there's no sweating involved. There are, there are old wives' tales that, that we should uh, dispel as well. Yeah, I mean, usually we don't get a call from the person who's having the emergency. They think they can muddle <laughs> through. We get it from a family member or a friend who checks in on them or somebody who witnesses them pass out. So until the ambulance gets there, the layperson can just start this cooling process themselves. You don't have to have ice cold water. You don't have to do that. You can just put cool things, anything that changes that temperature from 105 down, putting a towel under a sink water, wrapping it around the back of their neck. Just remember to change it because they're going to heat up that, that, that water that's trying to cool them down, constantly rotating it. For the ambulance, we pour water onto bath sheets. We put water onto the sheets that we use for the stretcher and then drape them over the patient to keep them cool. You can do that before the ambulance even arrives and you may see changes for the better in a patient's condition pretty quickly. And of course, you're going to remove any equipment or excess clothing that they're wearing. You want to immerse them in ice water would be the ideal. But short of that, maybe take a, a, a hose with cool water and just keep uh, rinsing the person. If you do use cold, wet towels, you need to change them about every three minutes or so. Yes. Or, or wrap them fast. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wrap them in a, top, a tarp with ice. Um, uh, as you said, cold packs behind their neck, in the axillae, which is the groin, or under their arms. And you want to cool the patient till you see them shiver. And um, you want to get their temperature down pretty quickly because what we understand is morbidity, meaning severe illness and death, are directly related to the duration of that core temperature elevation. So we have to move, move quickly because the lesser conditions, which are heat exhaustion, when the temp is maybe 101 to 104, would you say? And yeah, they, they can manage. They manage yeah. so much better. They can still drink and bring cool stuff inside. Again, it's better mm -hmm. to put it in the stomach than on the skin mm -hmm. because you're warming, you're cooling the, the central core, but anything in the right direction. Getting them, honestly, sometimes just getting them out of where they are and taking them to somewhere in the shade or mm -hmm. somewhere where there's an air conditioner. You know, when we tell seniors to head to senior centers or walk the mall, mm -hmm. those are real smart ideas. Very smart. And they the, the distinction of heat exhaustion there is no significant neurologic manifestation of altered right. uh, consciousness or confusion. And you're still sweating. Yes, yes. Okay, beautiful. Let's talk about a patient who's rescued from near drowning. Of course, if they're unconscious, we're going to check whether we need to do CPR. Are there any other special steps related to being pulled from the water that are unlike other situations when you have to uh, go to CPR? Sure. I mean, once you've decided the patient has no pulse and has uh, no breathing and you begin CPR, I will tell you that there's more success in a, in a water resuscitation because it wasn't a failure of the internal systems. Their heart didn't go, their lungs didn't go. And as a result, they tend to do better and are easily and more easily resuscitated. They don't have any broken equipment that caused the cardiac arrest. It was a drowning incident. So what I still focus on is good CPR and getting that AED that will help restart that heart. And mm -hmm. in a pool, luckily, most pools that are that, I, that we deal with, uh, AEDs are within a, a, a five-minute uh, brisk walk. Mm -hmm. So they're going to get the AED on even before the ambulance usually gets there. So but, there's there's no additional step like turning them over at what we call in the hospital pulmonary toilet, like sort of pounding on their back in case of water because that's not what's making them drown. It's that they have aspirated and their brain is saying, stop breathing, right? 
Yeah, we're our focus mainly is you put enough positive pressure into that into that airway and you start opening up those lungs again, you're going to get the response of the patient, you know, turning around. You put that, you prime that pump with good air, a good compression, and then ultimately you start that car with the uh, you start that engine back up with the AED. Mm -hmm. Because we've heard about the national shortage of lifeguards, so the pools are closing if they don't have coverage. It's the beaches that I'm worried about. Uh, you know, we go to the shore and we see the lifeguard stands are farther apart. So please pay attention to your any of your family members in in the uh, ocean and maybe open that cold beer when you get home. You're not supposed to drink on the beach anyway, but we need you to be alert and watching your family members. How about severe sunburn? Um, there are certain meds that make our skin more sensitive, but we used to say cool, uh, moist uh, towels on sunburn. Now what do we say? Yeah, I mean, sunburn, for all its intensive purposes, is a first-degree burn. Mm -hmm. um, we need to take it seriously. When you start to see the, you know, the little bubbles and blistering, that's a second degree burn. This is just because it didn't come from a fire or a scald. It's not a reason to not take it seriously. So for us, you know, you want to keep it protected. If the skin's intact, keep dry dressings just to keep it, you know, protected because it's lost its ability and sometimes its integrity. And so it can be an infection site. And if these are blisters and they burst, then you need to basically protect them with dry sterile gauze. Our goal is to try and make sure that the patient heals and doesn't pick up, you know, an external infection that could make the healing process delayed or even need uh, medications mm -hmm. to assist. And we chatted earlier. We know that there are several antibiotics that can make your skin more sensitive to the sun, like tetracycline. Um, but you were saying also the birth control pill. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Cipro, is, Cipro and tetracycline, those are big antibiotics that are going to cause you tremendous burns even if you put an spf of 50 or higher that's not but um don't be surprised if you know you're taking naproxen you know aleve or ibuprofen advil uh, or even mm -hmm. birth control they have components that allow um for the sun to kind of kick your butt so that means if you were putting uh, sunscreen on it still mm -hmm. might not be mm -hmm. enough um managing managing reapplications are going to be much higher for you just like it would be for a young child that skin is very i learned hard. when we spoke last that of course, our listeners need to know they can take CPR courses, either basic or advanced life support through Norbeth Ambulance, but you also teach a course called Stop the Bleed. I want to give you a few minutes with that, but before we jump to that, fireworks, please don't light your own fireworks. And if you do, what are a couple quick things we want to say? Um, simply put, there is no mm -hmm. safe firework. We are talking about gunpowder. We are talking about derivatives that are designed to explode. We shouldn't spend any time with them. And the regulation on them is not so great. So what is inside might not be what it is. Um, if you must, and I understand how much fun it is, leave it to the professionals. But if you feel the overwhelming need to buy that big pack at the Costco, uh, try and put as much distance between you and the product itself. If that's extending the wicks, if that is, you know, using just even distance lighters where it gives you a couple seconds. There is no you know, safe distance. Every year in the ER, we see people that lose fingers, that, that lose their eyes, for goodness sake. We were talking about somebody who has a joke, put one on their head, and, and they died, right? Yeah, we don't play with this. Uh, we were very lucky for 2022 not to have one. Uh, everybody must have done safe or, or didn't. And in the pandemic, we saw a lot more last year when people had nothing mm -hmm. to do but stay home and mm -hmm. blow things up. So. We stay vigilant on this, but honestly, most of the damage is done before we get there. Our job is to try and what they so have sad. when we arrive. Now, with all the um, gun violence and even knife wounds, stop the bleed. Tell us about that, if you would. 
Uh, Narbeth Amos is pretty passionate about this. We've been teaching Stop the Bleed, which is basically a simple course that lasts about five minutes to teach it and about five minutes of hands-on. And you learn all the priorities of direct pressure to stop an initial bleed, uh, learning how to put a pressure dressing on, which is very simple. It's just basically an ace bandage. And then ultimately learning tourniquet uh, training, where you learn to tie something off. When I grew up and when I was learning early in my life, tourniquets were, this is what you put on as a last ditch effort. Medicine has evolved. Putting a tourniquet on, you can leave it on for up to four hours. And as long as you get to a trauma center, they're going to open that back up, solve that problem, and you're going to be able to keep that extremity. So it's not the red flag mm -hmm. it used to be. But a quick information session to kind of give someone the ability to save a life. And honestly, it's not about guns or knives sometimes. The one we just used a couple months ago, a person caught their diabetic shunt oh. in a car door, ripped oh. it right off, and we, taught, we put mm -hmm. the tourniquet on. We took it to the hospital, they stitched it back in, and everything came back to normal. Like, the person did not suffer. But the tourniquet, there was no, where that was located, there was nothing mm -hmm. else that would have worked. And it does, it saved that person's life, I believe. So if that you're, before. if we're in a crowd, like we're hearing on the news, and you're near somebody who's been shot or with a knife wound, you take off your belt, you take off a shirt, and you tie it above the wound. So if they get hit in the calf, you're going to tie it on their thigh. Or, you know, above the wound is where you tie to stop the person from bleeding to death. What if they have a gunshot in their belly or their, their torso? Any suggestions for that to, to keep the, you know, keep maximize their safety? Sure. Well, above all, I'm asking you not to become a victim. So if it's still an unsafe scene, I'm sorry for that person who is injured. You go hide. You go. But if you feel the need that you feel like the scene is safe or the threat's been neutralized and now you can help. Absolutely. Grab that belt and tie it. You want to put it closer to the torso mm -hmm. as best. If you have a torso hit. You're going to basically take your hands and push hard. You're going to try and impede as much blood as possible to buy time. Okay, we have quick clot. We have all those kinds of things on the ambulance that can help us. But still, we're driving fast and headed to the hospital to to because this doesn't need medicine. Yeah. This needs surgery. Narbethambulance.org. And we're asking people on August 20th to come to Ardmore and join the... Ardmore Rock and Ride. It's going to be a great day of uh, community activity. U.S. cycling bike race and a terrific day out. We're going to announce that again at the end. Al Davy, you're the best. Thank you for joining us and thank you for keeping all of us safe. Happy to help. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. This is Emily Rubin, dietitian from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and from the Academy of Dietetics and Nutrition, presenting you with your nutrition tip of the week. So let's talk about barbecues and cookouts. Summertime is, an, is all about cookouts. According to a survey from Weight Watchers, the average person eats could eat up to 3,200 calories at a barbecue. That sounds almost more calories that's consumed than Thanksgiving. So we want to look out for we want to look out for some of the really high calorie foods such as mayonnaise based products such as macaroni potato salad, hot dogs, hamburgers, ribs, chips, plus all those decadent desserts. The issue is these events can go on for hours of mindless grazing all day. But please don't turn down these invitations and also don't show up starving or skip meals in advance. Instead, choose these indulgent foods but just make 
smaller portions. It's taking a scoop of each of your favorites, potato salad, macaroni salad, and just having one serving. Maybe skipping the bun on the burger or the hot dog if you're choosing other desserts that have carbohydrates or high in sugar. And the other thing is use smaller plates that will make the portions look bigger. You can also plan ahead and bring your own healthy side to share with everybody if it's your own version of a, of a, of a potato salad or a fruit salad or any kind of um, fruit even for dessert. So when you're grilling, some of the leaner meats to choose are ground turkey breast and skinless chicken. You can also do 93% lean ground meat. Fish is, is, is a really important part of our healthy diets. Try grilling salmon, tuna, or steam some clams for a low-calorie protein-packed dinner or even lunch. <laughs> Summer is also the ideal to get the freshest catch of seafood from your local grocer. On the other hand, and when you're trying to build a burger without sacrificing the, the taste, trying a whole wheat bun and, again, using the lean, the lean meats and actually top instead of topping with mayonnaise, try topping with pineapple, wasabi, guacamole, or even low-fat regular cheese or feta cheese. Most importantly, you want to socialize with your friends and family. I also focus on that summer is only three short months. So mindful, balanced eating is a lifestyle, not a diet. Remember, moderation is key and view food as something to fuel your fun activities. Focus on the memories you're making with your friends and family and not the number on the scale. This is Emily Rubin, dietitian from Jefferson, presenting you with your nutrition tip of the week. For more information, go to yourradiodoctor.com. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. You need an exceptionally specialized Rothman orthopedics physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction? You are not alone. If you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your whole family can begin to recover. At Recovery Centers of America at Devon and Lighthouse, your loved one will be treated with care by expert addiction professionals, while family programming will give you support and healing so that you can recover as well. RCA accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services. Call 1-888-RECOVERY. Now, When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. And we're back on Your Radio Doctor, and we're grateful to Al Davey, paramedic from Norbeth Ambulance, who gave us great suggestions as we should be prepared for on the spot with heat illness, near drowning, and 
sunburn. And now Dr. Levine is going to talk to us about what happens when a patient does have a heat illness and they, they're brought to the hospital. Dr. Danielle Levine, Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine from the Hospital of University of Pennsylvania and the Assistant Medical Director of Narberth Ambulance. Welcome, Danny. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, it's nice to be here. So we talked about heat illness, uh, including a whole spectrum of conditions. Let's start with the, I guess, from they're all serious and the spectrum of those conditions and what happens when a patient is brought to the hospital. That's a great question. So the first thing we want to do is get the patient's core temperature. And unfortunately for our patients, usually that means a rectal temperature. And we also want to assess their symptoms. Heat-related illness actually encompasses a spectrum going from heat edema all the way to heat stroke. So starting with the most mild, heat edema is when you get swelling of your extremities. People might notice when they're outside in the heat, they notice their hands and feet get swollen. It's very mild. It's reversible. As basically, as soon as you cool off, the swelling is going to go down. Heat syncope is the next, the next uh, illness on the spectrum. So this is a constellation of many symptoms that can include syncope, that is passing out, dizziness, and feeling lightheaded when you stand up. Again, the treatment for this is moving the patient to a cooler environment. And if they're in the hospital, we want to sit the patient up and we'll give them some IV fluids to help replete their, their intravascular volume. If the patient can tolerate fluids orally, then we can give them salt-containing fluids or something like Gatorade, Powerade, or Pedialyte. The next step on our heat-related illness spectrum is heat tetany, and that refers to spontaneous muscle spasms. This, rely, this arises from when you're breathing too fast from hyperventilation due to heat stress. And people can feel muscle spasms, sometimes even paresthesias around their lips. So your lips are going to feel numb. Once again, we want to put you in a cooler environment. And sometimes we'll give you IV fluids that just might help patients feel symptomatically better. Next up, we have heat cramps. This is basically when your skeletal muscles, such as your quads and your calves, start cramping up. This is usually from heavy sweating, and we can reverse this with rehydrating patients. So again, with oral electrolyte solution or with IV fluids. And again, moving a patient into a cooler environment. You're starting to see a theme here. Then we get to heat exhaustion. And this occurs when patients' core temperature, so that temperature we measure from a rectal temperature, gets pretty high, close to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. And patients mm -hmm. can feel lightheaded, fatigued, have a headache, nausea, sweating, feel very weak. They, they are extremely sweaty. They're flushed. And again, we want to rapidly cool the patient, apply ice packs, possibly put them in an ice water bath, and get and rehydrate them with IV fluids or or oral electrolyte solution. The most serious heat-related illness is heat stroke. There's some overlap between heat exhaustion and heat stroke, but heat stroke 
is really when your core temperature is more than 104 degrees Fahrenheit and you start to get symptoms of organ failure. Um, the hallmark of this is when you develop altered mental status. So you're very confused. You can be in a coma. You can even have seizures. Um, interestingly, some people with heat stroke sweat and some people don't. Some people have totally, totally exhausted their supply, their fluid supply, and are no longer able to sweat. Um, and like I said, this can lead to organ failure across multiple organs, and it's pretty deadly. In fact, in 2008, 29 people died in Pennsylvania from heat stroke. And that's the most recent data that I have. That's incredible. And I know that we we can see people who exert themselves in the heat or even people that run marathons. I remember I lived in New York in the 80s, my husband and I. And um, I watched it the first year he worked. And the second year he joined, he, he did it. And they actually moved it um, between those two years because it was so hot into October. They moved it two weeks later uh, into you know, later in the month because of all the things you're describing. And, and we talked earlier about those at risk, you, you think of those exerting themselves in the heat, but people who don't have any exertion involved at all, the elderly or little children or even pets left in a car, after you explain that, it makes so much sense why people are at risk. Um, I think that what's interesting too is um, the Chances for severe illness, organ failure, and um, death are related to how long that super high temperature is there. And that's why cooling, cooling, cooling as quickly as possible is so important. And I guess, too, when a person comes to the emergency room, are there criteria that you use to decide whether you're going to keep them and watch them for a little bit or admit them to the hospital? Yeah. So absolutely. The, the first thing is what is their core temperature? If the temperature, if they come in with a heat-related illness and their rectal temperature is 104 degrees Fahrenheit or greater, we are going to admit them to the hospital, keep them overnight, keep it giving them fluids during through an IV, and cool them up until they get to a certain threshold where we feel like their body can continue cooling on their own. We obviously don't want to cool them mm -hmm. so much that they become hypothermic. But any well, that was. A thought too. Can you cool a person too quickly? Is that a danger? Well, that's a great question. Can you cool a patient too quickly? No. In fact, you can't cool patients quickly mm -hmm. enough. What we will do is mm -hmm. put in a continuous rectal probe. And I know that sounds very uncomfortable, yes. but it's a very skinny probe no. that we want to measure your rectal temperature continuously. And when you get to a temperature yes, of 102.2 degrees Fahrenheit, this is typically where we stop cooling you. That still sounds pretty hot, actually, 102.2 mm -hmm. degrees mm -hmm. Fahrenheit. That's a fever. But that's where we stop cooling you because you're no longer uh, at a risk of that organ failure due to super high temperatures. And we think at that point, you can continue cooling on your own and you don't run. There's less of a risk of becoming too cold internally. Yeah. And you've taken them out of the dangerous setting. I thought it was really interesting too. I was trying to do my homework before we got together and I looked to see if there are any specific medications, which I guess there aren't. And in fact, people need to know that 
the pathogenesis or the physiology of extreme heat conditions like this, exposed to high temps, involves a different change in the brain than a fever does. So don't count on taking a non-steroidal like Advil or Tylenol because that can actually worsen the complications. Am I right about that? That can actually worsen kidney or liver disease or that's clotting. That's absolutely correct. In fact, one of the hallmarks of heat stroke is kidney and liver failure. Mm. And giving ibuprofen or Tylenol not only does nothing to help the condition, but it might actually exacerbate the kidney and liver problems. So the National Association of EMS Physicians, of which I'm a member, recommends rapid cooling by ice water immersion. So we literally can set up a tub and fill it with ice and stick the patient in there. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, for runners who run the Broad Street Run, in our medical tents, we actually have ice buckets that are ice baths that are actually set up for runners who come in and end up having elevated core temperatures. So our goal is to cool the patient with ice in situations where ice water immersion is not practical or it's impossible or the emergency department just can't find their giant bathtub, we'll put cold, wet towels all over the patient's body, including ice packs to their groin and their armpits. Mm-hmm. It's a start at least. And I guess too, there are so many changes, physiologic changes going on with a marathon runner or even somebody who's say standing at the tomb of the unknown soldier, uh, you know, a military uh, personnel that are standing in the heat in a hot woolen uniform, the veins dilate, the blood pools at their ankles. As you said, you can have just heat edema and they can faint just from standing there because they're not moving or if somebody's been sitting for a while and they stand up too quickly, all those conditions are in the spectrum. So if a person recovers from a heat illness, are there specific guidelines, say for these young athletes in football training, uh, are there specific guidelines that allow uh, a young athlete to return to play? From an emergency department standpoint, we feel that once you leave the hospital, you should be fully symptom-free, your organs should be recovered, your vital signs should be completely normal, and you need to be cleared by a primary doctor or a sports medicine doctor before returning to play or returning mm-hmm. to running or what, ha- or returning to work. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back for our wrap-up with Dr. Danielle Levine from Penn. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. 
Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. When you have joint pain, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes joints. Someone so focused on their specialty, they've written the book on it, literally. You need an exceptionally specialized physician from Rothman Orthopedics. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past the pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. Official orthopedic partner of the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixers. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. And we're back for our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We call this segment Your Weekly Prescription brought to you by Genentech, the first biotech company in the U.S. Dr. Daniel Levine, um, so happy to have you. And we learned a lot about what happens when a person with teeth illness is brought to the emergency room and how you decide to keep them or not or, or let them go home. If, a, if an athlete uh, wants to return to play, you're right. They have to go back to their primary care doctor and make sure that they're symptom-free. Maybe the primary care doc will repeat labs if they had any difficulty with um, kidney function or any of those things that need follow-up, repeat x-rays, et cetera, and maybe say no exercise for at least seven days following that um, intensive medical care. Would you say that's a pretty good plan? Absolutely. That can be hard for some of our athletes, but it's pretty important. Mm -hmm. So what are your take-home messages for our listeners? Such important topics today. Well, a couple things. I want to reiterate what you said earlier about there being really two different types of heat stroke. There's the exertional heat stroke that we associate with our athletes, our firefighters, and people in the military, people who are just working hard as laborers. And that typically develops very rapidly when you're exerting yourself in a very hot environment, such as the summer heat. But we also have classic heat stroke, which occurs during heat strokes. And it, it occurs in the elderly, the disabled, children, even pets, people who are less likely to be able to move around or less likely to advocate for themselves. And this often occurs over days, not hours or minutes. So if you feel like grandma isn't acting right, but she's sort of the same as she was this morning, you can't necessarily rule out heat stroke. It could be that she hasn't been acting right for a few days and this has just been developing very slowly. And the, the elderly and the very young are actually even are just as likely to die and sometimes even more likely to die because their organs are, are a little bit more precarious. We said earlier, Al told us that um, the numbers are almost six to one, that it's more likely the elderly and little children than what people think of the, the athlete who's at practice in August for the, uh, you know, the school year, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you really want to keep an eye on your elderly relatives, your elderly neighbors, especially when it gets hot. Um, if people don't have air conditioning or you know they're having trouble paying their bills, you really want to keep an eye on them. And this advice goes for everyone. Make sure you're hydrating well. If you need to leave the house to get out into the breeze, stand in the shade, 
whatever you can do to get yourself in a cooler environment throughout the summer. And again, hydrate well. If you're exerting yourself, drink Gatorade or other fluids that have electrolytes, specifically salt, and really pay attention to your body. You know when you're not feeling well. And if you have these red flags that you see in your loved one, or as I say, your neighbor, um, remember that it's the duration of that temperature elevation that can really be dangerous. So the faster you get them to the right place, to an emergency room, the the less likely they are to have organ damage, um, neuro signs that can be life-threatening, the better. And don't think to give them Tylenol or non-steroidals like Advil, right, or aspirin, because that can make them worse. Absolutely. Avoid the Tylenol, aspirin, and Advil. Get them out of the hot environment and call 911. Mm -hmm. And if you think you're on any medications that could increase your sensitivity to the sun, we talked about that as well, like tetracyclines, um, birth control pills, that you're, that you're going to get sunburn or be more likely to become overheated. That's important too. And I'm a big fan of reminding people, be very careful with dietary supplements because they can increase your risk for a lot of these conditions too, can't they? Yes, absolutely. If there's anything that has been prescribed to you, talk to the doctor who prescribed it if you're worried about sun exposure. And Absolutely. I'm very wary of dietary supplements. With a few exceptions, we don't prescribe them to our patients out of the ER. Talk to your doctor about any dietary supplements you want to take. Well, we want everybody to be very well hydrated for the Ardmore Rock and Ride, which is August 20th. And it's a day of fun. And I, I'm so happy that I learned that that Norbeth Ambulance is not just something that our taxes pay for. It's a private company that covers five um, counties. That's a lot of people and a lot of ambulance rides a year. And we can't, you can't do it for free and pats on the back. We need money to keep Norbeth Ambulance in business because you're saving lives, literally. August 20th, tell us a little bit about that. People can find out how to go through Ardmore Rock and Ride. Uh, they can Google that or NorbethAmbulance.org. Yeah, and just a correction, uh, we actually serve five towns, not five counties. We operate in Delaware and Montgomery counties. We serve Lower Marion, Narberth Borough, West Conshohocken, Conshohocken, and Haverford Township. Oh, I had the five right. Anyway. You had the five right. <laughs> five kingdoms, five queendoms. Well, it's a lot of people that benefit from your hard work and Ardmore Rock and Ride, August 20, 2020, 20, August 20. Everybody should go and support it. And we also encourage people to become members of Norbeth Ambulance. And why is that? Well, when you become a member, your contribution helps us be able to staff our ambulances, have the most up-to-date equipment, and invest in invest in you. Our goal is to be able to have speedy response times when you call 911 and be able to provide you the utmost, the best care we can. And no worries if you're not a member, we, res- we treat every patient equally, but we, we really want your support. Yeah, people are surprised when they get a bill for the ambulance, but if you're a member, your bill is much lesser because it's like an insurance policy. With that, we thank you so much for joining us and narbethambulance.org. Become a member and support 
August 20th. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank you. And now for your real champion, I call this segment, The Star-Spangled Neighbors. In July of 2020, I shared the story of your real champion, Jack Johnson. He served his country as a Marine and lives by the mantra, the Marines never forget. In that vein, Jack dedicated many years to the Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation and was recognized with the Semper Fidelis Award. The year was 1996, and he was recognized at a ceremony in Chicago where he lived at the time. In attendance that day was Joe Rosenthal, the Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer who took the iconic picture of the Marines raising the flag at Iwo Jima. The photographer made a copy of the photo using the original negative from 1945, which Jack still treasures as an invaluable keepsake. For many years, Jack and his family have spent their summers in Ocean City, New Jersey. You'll know you've reached his home at 42nd Street because of the large flagpole in front of his home. Each day, Jack has a ceremony to raise the flag. Every member of his large family salutes the flag and recites the Pledge of Allegiance as Old Glory is hoisted to the blue sky. And each evening, family comes together to lower the flag and close it properly in 13 folds. With six daughters and at least 15 grandchildren, the annual July 4th bike parade in his Ocean City neighborhood has always been a family tradition. Hundreds of people, all ages, decorate their bikes, strollers, wagons, even themselves in red, white, and blue to celebrate the nation's birthday. City Hall and center of town are in the north end of the city, so over 100 years ago, South Ocean City Improvement Association, SOSHA, was born. The purpose of SOSHA is to support many civic and social activities in the south end of Ocean City, including the 4th of July bike parade, beach concerts, and fundraisers. Well, in June of 2021, an article in the local newspaper reported that membership had declined and the board of directors considered a dissolution of the organization. Jack and his neighbor, Karen Fuller, came to the rescue. Their love of country and devotion to tradition fueled them to recruit an entire battalion of neighbors. And this year marked the first annual 42nd Street July 4th block party. Karen sought the help of Mike Datlow, who had worked for the city for over 30 years. Mike's contribution was enlisting Ocean City to provide a permit, then bleachers with a judge's stand erected at 42nd Street. The day began with more than 75 neighbors in attendance as the flag was raised. Then the bike parade started at 40th Street, passed the judges at 42nd, and wove its way to the playground at 52nd Street where prizes were awarded. Festivities through the afternoon, volleyball and cornhole tournaments, and a sandcastle competition. The block party had a very special ending when the flag was lowered and the singer led everyone in God Bless America. We thank you, Jack Johnson, Karen Fuller, and their 42nd Street neighbors, along with Mike Datlow and the city of Ocean City, for keeping this beautiful tradition alive and bringing so many members of the community together reminding us how fortunate we are to live in a country founded on democracy. And we salute them all as your real champions. Thank you for listening this evening and every Saturday at 5 o'clock here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America, the Rothman Orthopedic Institute, and our newest team member, Genentech.
Listen to the show again and any of our shows by visiting the Odyssey website. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y, odyssey.com forward slash 1210WPHT. You can see all the podcasts from your radio doctor, odyssey.com forward slash 1210WPHT. Write to me. Send us a story of a real champion in your family or community. Send it to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Next week, join us for the latest information about a very important topic, Alzheimer's disease, with guest Dr. Ronald Peterson, professor from the Mayo Clinic and a giant in his field. Send in questions in advance to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Please follow Your Radio Doctor on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. And friends, think about donating blood during this national blood shortage time. Visit redcross.org. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday evening. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, safe week with the ones you love. Always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. 